connected. I encourage you to open up to your instructed communion prayer books that we have. This is a resource. I encourage you to stick it in your Bible or put it up on your shelf. Because what you're going to find is that we as Anglicans don't make it up week by week. We're a people who went back to the... The only thing the Reformation did was try to go back to the early church to get it right because we'd gone off the rails in the Middle Ages. And what you have as we begin our worship service each and every week is a greeting founded in Scripture. I don't stand up here once again and say, welcome to Christ Church West Shore. Hi, my name is Gene Sherman. If you text 440-whatever, all right, what you have is a greeting centered in Scripture because it's not me who invited you here. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's delighted that you are here. And what we do throughout the Easter season is do that great Easter greeting, which we've been saying for 2,000 years. So let us begin our worship service together. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. (laughs) Page 7, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Turning back to our insert, let us stand and sing, come people of the risen king. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, who gave your only son for us to be both a sacrifice for sin and an example of godly life. Give us grace so that we may always receive with thankfulness the immeasurable benefit of his sacrifice and try day by day to follow in the steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. See, what we've done in our liturgy up to this point is we proclaimed the Lord's risenness, right? And then immediately we had the summary of the law. Sometimes we do the Ten Commandments, which we can know as the Decalogue. The purpose of that is to remind us who we profess to be and that we live it out as we live our daily lives throughout the week. And as you hear either the Ten Commandments or the summary of the law, if you're anything like me, you recognize maybe I've fallen a little short this week. Maybe I, I haven't loved my neighbor as myself at times. Maybe I haven't loved the Lord at times. This is not seeker-sensitive worship, friends. It's visitor-friendly, but it's for Christians. And for non-Christians, they're going to feel probably even more convicted than we are (laughs) as we gather together. And that's okay, because we want them to know the joy and the peace that we have, because the service is just getting started. And as Gene um, said, to begin the service, it's the Lord that calls us in to worship. We don't call ourselves into worship. That's why we start our prayers with, the Lord be with you. 
with your spirit. It's the calling forth from the Lord to his people back to the Lord. And so as we go through this first part of the service, it's known as the liturgy of the word. The liturgy of the word. The liturgy is composed of two halves. First of all, question for you. What does the word liturgy mean? Those of you that were here early and maybe looked at the front pages of the bulletin or remember from catechism, what does the word liturgy mean? Work of the people, yes, thank you. Gold star for June, I think, out there. Yeah. <laughs> at least. The work of the people. And so quite in contrast with the way many people do worship in the United States, particularly today, we don't just gather and we do the work and you sit and listen, or you sit and look at a PowerPoint, or you sit and just sit, and you can't even hear yourself. But rather, you're invited into worship because you're part of the worship. We, as God's ministers, our job is to lead God's people in worship, not to do the worship for you. And so that's why in our liturgy, there's so much call and response. That's why we have acolytes and lectors that are vested in the white katas and the black cassock, symbolizing that they, too, are leaders of God's people as they lead his word. So the first half of the service is the liturgy of the word, and it's adoring Jesus in his word. It's adoring Jesus as he's made known to us in the revelation of the Bible. So the first part's the liturgy of the word. The second part of the service, the liturgy of the table, liturgy of the sacrament, liturgy of the altar. So it's cut in half. Where does this come from? Again, we don't do anything haphazardly. The first part of the service is actually come, coming from the Jewish synagogue service. If you look at the order, it comes from the Jewish service. In fact, the early church would go to synagogue on Saturday and sit through the readings and do the prayers and then would gather on Sunday for the liturgy of the table for Holy Communion. And so it symbolizes the fact that Jesus is present with us both in word and in sacrament. And just as he is with us as we eat that bread and drink that wine, so he is with us as he's proclaimed through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through the Psalms, particularly through the Gospel. So I don't know if you know this, but the Anglican form of worship by far reads the most scripture of any tradition. You're generally getting a reading from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, the Gospel, and then, as you've probably seen, as if you look at the citations in your bulletin, all of the prayer book is taken from Holy Scripture. Now, sometimes it's rearranged a little bit, but it's generally quoting Holy Scripture. And so, the Lord is preparing us to hear his word by inviting us in to worship. And that's where we go through the collect of the day. We go into the readings themselves. We go through that to, he, to, to adore Christ in his gospel as the gospels read. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Don't miss what you're saying. It all means something. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's not just me up here reading a poem that I made up, right? It's not just Gene up here giving his opinion of how you should live your life. 
It's God speaking through, hopefully, through us, right? If we're doing our job. Gene's going to talk about that more as we go on. And so now, let us sit and hear the word of the Lord. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Sermons have always been part of Jewish and Christian worship. And so many people look at sermons as nothing more than Charlie Brown's teacher, you know? You guys know how Charlie Brown's teacher? Wah, 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 right? Because so many people have sat under poor expositions, if it's an exposition at all, because that's what God's ministers are called to do, give you expositions. We believe this is God's word. And if we believe this is God's word, it is not my opinion that I'm going to give you. Next week, we resume our study of Abram, soon to become Abraham, the father of the faith. And some of the texts are easy to preach. Some of the texts are not easy to preach. But the point is, it's not my opinion. It's God's opinion for God's people. Kimmy constantly corrects me. I'll say, my peeps at Christ Church, or something like that. And she'll correct me and say, they're not your people. They're God's people. And you're going to be gone someday. And, you know, <laughs> gee, thanks, sweetheart. I appreciate that. You know? um, but you get my point. My job is to go back into God's kitchen, put on the, the pastoral apron, and serve God's word up faithfully for each and every one of us as we do so. And sermons are necessary, but in and of themselves, they're, alone, they're insufficient for Christian discipleship making. We are each called to be disciples who make others into what we are ourselves. And as my mother-in-law constantly used to say to me, we can't give away what we ourselves do not have. And so, that's why it's, it's vital for each and every one of us to not only bear minimum commitment, be, be committed to being here on Sunday. Because the sermon is the rallying point. The sermon is the place where God's word is exposed to us, where I, each and every week, God willing, will put one hand on the scripture, or the telescope of scripture, and another hand on 21st century Cleveland, not the other way around. Okay? It's easy to try to just get to application, in my opinion, and I have to fight that each and every week. But we look at the original languages and see what it has and read it with non-Western eyes and bring out the great truths for each and every one of us as we do so. And then we process this throughout the week in our small groups, the various small groups that we're doing. Because that's what God's people have always done in Scripture, is do life together. And that's very un-Western at times. You know, because we think fellowship groups is just eating dinner together. Or fellowship groups are just to, to, to do nice conversational cocktail talk. But that's not 
what Christian fellowship is, is digging deep into the truth of God's word together, opening up the Bible and letting him speak to us in community as well. I'm in two groups that are doubling. I want you to be in two groups that are doubling. One group that's doubling. And it's not doubling because of my leadership. It's doubling because the Holy Spirit is doing a great work at Christ Church and among his people. So I encourage you to be in any of our various small groups. And it's not just Bible study. It's doing life together. So I want to ask you, number one, do you have your Bible with you? You can download it on an app. You can cheat. It's okay. I don't mind. You know? But the point is, as Anglicans, we're Bible people. I don't care if I'm called a Bible thumper. Good. You know? Because it's God's revealed word. I hope you don't care either. You know? The world, this is God's revealed truth. Bring your Bible. Let the Lord speak to you through it. And ask yourself or your spouse these questions as you leave today. And every week, how did God speak to you? Number one. And how did God speak through you? Because we're not here just to come and leave as God's people. We're coming here to, to minister to one another. Maybe a stranger comes off the street and has a need that we can meet. Maybe somebody just needs you to, to listen to what they're struggling with this week. And only you, only you are the person that can meet that need. Because you have a, a unique and every one of us. And last, do you, do you make this the highlight of your week? Because our culture will tell you staying up late and watch Carolina beat Syracuse is the highlight of the week. You know, the only person who has my permission to do that is Jeff Davis, who graduated from North Carolina, all right? I'm joking, all right? The point is, do we make gathering together on Sunday mornings, that we truly don't do any work today, hear the word, minister to one another, and rest on the Lord's day. That means you can recreate. Recreation comes, and there's all kinds of views on that in the Christian world. My view is, of course, you can watch baseball this afternoon. If you find that, Refreshing and renewing. Some of you would rather have their teeth pulled. I get it. You know? <laughs> but whatever is recreation for you and restful for you on the Lord's day, I believe the Lord blesses it. But not at forsaking gathering together with his people, hearing from the word, and growing together in community. So we're coming to the end of the liturgy of the word as we go into the prayers. Um, but before we do that, as Gina said, the, the Bible is the center of the first part of the service. I, I was doing some reading and um, in preparation for this. And the entrance rites have changed over the years. East, west, different countries are called into to common worship in different ways, but the center of it is always that it prepares us to hear from God. And so part of the way that we're prepared to hear from God and part of the way that we worship God as human beings is in our actions, right? So what did we all do when Bob went down 
to read the gospel. We all stood up. Why? Why'd you do that? Because it shows respect. Somebody said it, yeah? Shows respect or honor. The Bible is held up oftentimes during the service when we walk in or when we come down to read the scriptures. Why is that? The preeminence of God's word. Do you see how we, we don't always think about the things that we do, but if you were someone to walk in off the street just and have no audio, let's say you couldn't hear anything in our service, just watching what you do says something about who you worship and who I worship and who we worship together. Because here's the other thing. We all do it together, don't we? It's not our individual worship. It's our corporate worship together. But as Gene said, a proper expositional sermon is focused on the text, on the word of God. And so, you know, I'm going to bring this up. I brought it up at 8 o'clock. I'm going to say it again. What's one almost fail-safe way to tell that you're hearing good preaching? Check it against the word. Check it against your Bible. Yeah. If the priest, the preacher, doesn't stand up at least one, at one point and say, open in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 3, or read you part of the verses, if that's not going on, a red flag should go up in your, in your mind. Because if that's not going on, then you're probably hearing his opinion. And as much as I love Gene, I don't really care what his opinion is <laughs> on some things. And he could say the same for me. But both of us are united in the Bible's opinion, right? Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. And lastly, the creed comes either before or after the sermon. Why do you suppose that is? Because if anything that we've said is not in alignment with the creed, if anything that we've said does not correspond to the scriptures that are cited by the creed. And, and I encourage you, look at those scriptures. The creed is full of them, right? It's like three pages, I think, in this bulletin. Then you toss it out. It doesn't matter that the person has a collar on. It doesn't matter that the person has a stole on or a pointy hat as a bishop. Who cares? If it's not in alignment with the word of God, toss it out. Or challenge us. So say, hey, you know, that didn't seem quite right. Can, you, can we talk about this? Because as we read in Revelation, we're the priesthood of all believers. We are all priests serving one another and worshiping God together. So that being said, let us stand together. And turning to page 13, 13 recite the faith of the church as it's been encapsulated from 325 A.D. This is complete, and we now go into the Holy Communion section, where you will notice, because not every church does it this way, there's a fourfold shape that you will notice in Anglican worship, Lutheran, Eastern Orthodox, even Roman Catholic, with different understandings of the Lord's presence. We encourage you to read the rest of the bulletin, the little notes that we have there, and what we believe, and we'll answer questions at the end if you, if you have any. But you'll notice that there is, in our worship, taking the form that our Lord gives us. There is a taking, there's a praying, 
there's a breaking, and then there's a distribution, okay? Because not every church does it this way. And, and the reason we feel this is important, friends, is the biblical structure. That we're not just bringing it out of a hat. We're doing it this way because this is the way our Lord did it. It's what God's people have done for 2,000 years. And the Lord blesses it. And it's important to remember that uh, all, all are the reformers. You know, it's, it's interesting to see how many times churches will quote Luther and Calvin and Cranmer and yet don't do weekly communion. <laughs> you know, uh, they believed in it. So do we. And so it, it's an important part of who we are. Sean. So we've completed the liturgy of the word, and we've been prepared now to come before the throne of God and to receive Jesus. And in a very real way, the liturgy of the table takes us. Now being prepared, having seen Jesus, and now we are going to receive Jesus. We come forward even again in our movements. Communion doesn't come to you. You come to communion, right? You come forward. You're saying with that that I am part of this body. I agree. I am in communion with these people, that Jesus is present with us here. And again, there's all sorts of different ideas as to how Jesus is present with us here. You've probably heard words thrown out like transubstantiation or consubstantiation. We don't know, as Anglicans, we go with what the early church said. We don't know how Jesus is present in the elements, but we know that he is present in the elements. And so we come to the table washed with his blood, having confessed our sins, having prepared our hearts. And Jesus is very, in a very special and real way, and unlike any other way, taken by us in the elements of bread and wine. The Eastern Church says that there's a mystical union between the bread and wine and the body and blood, and they stop there. I think they're very wise in doing that. Now, as we look at, if you do want to uh, learn more about that, you can see on page, it's here somewhere. The article, the article, there it is. Page 31, the doctrine of the real presence. If you want to know what we believe, what we've believed as Anglicans, it's listed in Article 28 of the 39 Articles of Religion. But what I want to point out is that if you look at that and then you turn the page, you'll see some of the quotes from who we call the Church Fathers. Irenaeus of, Le of Lyon. 190 A.D., the Apology of, of uh, St. Justin Martyr, A.D. 155. Do you see those letters from those early sources are right hand in glove with the article of religion? And that's what we believe, that we receive Jesus in a very special way. And so I urge you, as we continue on into the liturgy of the Eucharist, or the liturgy of the table, or the liturgy of the sacrament, however you might term it, prepare your hearts with me to receive our Lord. <laughs> 